Welcome to Planet Marzipan Podcast. Your fish and marillion podcast. Where we talk about all things in the planet of marillion and fish. I'm Meza, and here's my mate, Craig Houston. And welcome to Planet Marzipan, the Fish and Marillion podcast. I'm Meza, and I'm here with my mate, Craig. Anyway, there's not just me and him here this week. We're happy to say we've got a guest, and that guest is Scott Evans. Yay! Hello! Hello there. (laughs) We've known Scott for quite a number of years. Um, Do you want to let, let everybody know how you got into Marillion and where you first saw him? Yeah, um, so I got into Marillion when I was around 11 and my mum bought me one of those uh, hi-fi stacks, you know, oh, yeah. the ones wooden, posh wooden sides, yeah. And um, she also joined on my behalf the Britannia Music Club. Can you remember Oh, that? yeah. I remember oh, Britannia, yeah. Staple part of the 80s, yeah. And uh, she ordered three albums and the albums she ordered um, I mean, typical my mum. She knew I liked uh, Kaylee and Lavender, particularly Lavender. I, although I was only 11, yeah, but I, I quite liked Lavender. So she got script for Justice here <laughs> album, uh, War of the Worlds, and I think the third one. In my head, it was always Dire Straits. Um, With those was arms, it? Is it? But, but I don't know, I feel like that came out later. It did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it must have been it must have been something else. I did. Well, I don't it. know. I mean, it might eighty-five. Brothers in Arms eighty-five. Yeah, so it yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I'm talking sort of like it was late eighty-five. That was <laughs> Christmas of eighty-five when I got that. And then my next Britannia order was uh, was Fugazi and uh, Misplaced Childhood. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so I got into him. First time I saw him, I saw him once with Fish, and uh, that was. January the 9th, 1988, second leg of the uh, Clutch and Straws tour. Yeah. Uh, I was 15, yeah. And uh, I, I remember it well because we queued from midday and there was already a massive queue. And uh, whilst I was in the queue, I got uh, bit by an Alsatian. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, my, it was my first gig and my first dog bite all in one go. All yeah. oh, right, memorable stuff then. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Where was Absolutely. where was that gig? Uh, Victoria Hall in Stoke. Right. Yeah. Hanley. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you, it because uh, that used to be a great venue, but it's sadly. Well, no, actually, sorry, it started to pick up again a little bit, but it used to be an absolute every band to it and played there. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, it was a great gig. Apart from the dog bite, yeah. <laughs> I just bought a new Marillion T-shirt as well. I bought Market Square Rose the book cover. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd unpackaged it that, that morning for the Marillion gig. And, yeah, marched up there in the dog bloody tore it uh, down the thing. So. <laughs> Where did it bite you? Where on the body? Uh, on my arm. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 
I didn't do anything. I, I, I still just went into the gig and yeah. And it was amazing. I, I mean, I, it was like, yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that that was my first gig because it still means something to this day. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Was that yeah. was that your first gig, music gig ever. ever? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I mean, I was only really into Marillion. I, I I didn't really listen to anything else. I was I was obsessed with, well, first off, the three albums because the three albums were obviously out by the time I kind of discovered them, late '85, um, and then but I was there day one for Clutching at Straws and yeah and. Uh, yeah, I was obsessed. I didn't. I didn't listen to anything else. I was just. I always remember sitting behind the settee at home when I was. I just had, and I was listening on these massive headphones, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I just thought it was. I thought they were like magical, uh, <laughs> you know, overworldly. Yeah, yeah, you know. And I still do. I still get some of that feeling sometimes. And funny enough, more with Fagazi than I do the other ones. Okay. I can, I'll elaborate on later. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you can let the... I mean, people will know from the title of the episode, but yes, we're here to talk about Marillion's <laughs> second album, Fugazi. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. And before I read the Wikipedia entry... Yeah. Craig, how old were you when Fugazi came out? I was a sprightly little 11 years old. Oh, my oh. God. So I... Didn't really get into Fugazi till considerably later because I yeah. and already said this the story with uh, my mate Ralph, um, who does listen to the podcast, even though he's not a great Marillion fan, he likes to check up on us. So, hi Ralph, yeah, he wants <laughs> um, to see that you're telling the truth exactly, otherwise, he'd, he'd be round and slapping us about. But yeah, he loved script, he didn't like Fugazi. Loved misplaced, so it was never an album that I, that he kind of played to us um, back in the day. So I didn't really listen to that a lot until I kind of started getting into the band myself back in like eighty nine ninety. Yeah, and I I do much prefer Fugazi over Script, but I do I do it just yeah. You can you can nail us to the cross for that one. I don't mind. Well, <laughs> it's a hill I'll die on. Yes. We'll talk all about that. Okay, so the Wikipedia entry for Fugazi is um, Fugazi, titled after a military slang t- term well known at the time of release, is the second studio album by the British neo progressive rock band Marillion, released in 1984. Produced by Nick Tauber, it was recorded between November 1983 and February 1984 at various studios and was the first to feature drummer Ian Mosley, following the dismissal of the band's original drummer, Mick Pointer. According to AllMusic, the album streamlined the intricacies of the group's prog rock leanings in favour of a more straight-ahead hard rock identity. Built upon the success of its predecessor, Script Progestus Tear, Fugazi reached the UK top five and went gold. So... Overall thoughts on Fugazi before we sort of delve a bit deeper into it? I love it. I absolutely love Fugazi album. Yeah. And uh, I know you I know you kind of invited me on this podcast because in the recent census, I think I was the only person in Britain who liked She Chameleon. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, that may have swayed it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I love the album. Okay. Yeah. I do, Craig. Too. You I prefer it to script. Definitely, yeah. definitely. I'd, I'd like, I mean, obviously, with preparing for these, you kind of revisit it. 
and I've gone back to it today and there was, I think Ian, this is a huge name drop, in last week's episode, Ian talked about missing a bit of the attack and the drive of the old music. Yeah. And it's on this album. You can just hear that sort of drive and, you know, up-tempo, yeah. things like Emerald Lies at the beginning. I think so he's got the album that have got the uh, the jumping tracks on as well. So, like, Assassin, uh, Fugazi, you know, they're the pogoing tracks, aren't they? Um, you know, as well as obviously it's got some slower tracks on there. But uh, And it's got that, uh, the bass, uh, uh, the bass and well, drums are amazing and certainly in the in the remix that we're going to talk about yeah that pete pete's been brought way up in the mix yeah i think the original was a little bit thin sounding but they, you know it's completely they did thin. improve it though on the when they did the 24-bit remasters back in the late 90s that remaster of fugazi was actually quite good not as good as the new one no yeah but it was a definite Im- improvement on on what went before and yeah, I, it, I, I think i was going to take to task one thing that um like you said there, Scott, about pogoing songs. I don't think you can actually class them as pogoing songs. They're more they're like hip replacement songs now. Because <laughs> now, back in the day, there were pogo songs. Yeah, come on, <laughs> you, you you go and see like uh, the likes of like Still Marillion and some of the cover cover bands now, and you've got like fifty to sixty year olds trying to pogo, and you know very well half of them will end up in E and E. Well, I, I was I was all right, always all right with the pogoing because like it's. By the time I went to the first gig, actually, I was six foot four uh, and towered over, you know, a, a lot of people. And so when it came to pogoing, I was always very, I found out very quickly, I was very conscious that if I started jumping up and down, I was much taller than everybody else. <laughs> so so all I did was just kept standing on my tiptoes and just like, so it was like a little like calf exercise. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a calf exercise. <laughs> so the album was released on the 12th of march 84 i was 19 when the album came out oh. so um and it was preceded by a single punch and judy was released on the 30th of january 84 see, there's quite a quick turnaround from them recording the album finishing recording the album and the album being released because they were still recording it in january or something weren't they well yeah. fish talks in the documentary about Punch and Judy being one of the only things that was ready to go to be. I mean, he'd, he'd identified it as a single anyway, yeah. but it was one of the few tracks that was finished at that point that could have been released. I mean, it's mad to think, isn't it? Because, like, you, you think of that track and think, no way is it really a single. But then I suppose in those days, you know, you might have looked the same at like Garden Party or, you know, yeah. it wasn't really Till the Kayleys, but yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, and I like Punch and Judy. It's quirky. Is it Punch and Judy had um, the remakes of Free Boats Down from the Candy and stuff on the B side, didn't it? If I remember yeah. rightly. Yeah, yeah, because it was Assassin that had Cinderella Search. Is that right? It was. Yeah. We'll come on to that. We'll come on to that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Punch and Judy was the only single that they actually ever released which didn't have a video to it. Ah. Not even a, not even a live kind of cut or anything at all. It had been for- planned. It had been planned. You know, Fish mentioned it on a Fish on Friday a while back. Um, Presumably they were still in the studio, though. Yeah, they, yeah, they're still in the studio. I think, but I think it was just because it was such a quick turnaround time that needed yeah. to get the single out. I mean, so just quite unheard of in the eighties not to have a video for a song. Yeah, yeah I mean, 
it's no not a massive loss, is it? Looking no. at the standard <laughs> of some of the videos from that era. I mean, assassinating video, dear lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, um, okay. Yeah. So yeah, as as Scott's mentioned, um, Assassin came out on the thirtieth of April. So a month or so after the album came out, Assassin was released with Cinderella Search on the B side, and great. great track. Yeah, both great <laughs> tracks in my opinion. Yeah, I love Cinderella Search. Yeah, and I, I think they say on the documentary, don't they? And I think everyone would have thought this before as well. That should have been on the album. Yeah. 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 Instead of, um, cool. Now you. T- she chameleon. No, get off. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I love she chameleon. I don't know where, how quick you want to get into discussion about songs, but I, I think, think there's going to be a theme throughout this episode that in that <laughs> theme will be she chameleon. Yeah, yeah. So, well, well okay. So, my my thing on the album, I think I think there's a general thing anyway, isn't there, of like the music you listen to it in those sort of early teen years sort of defines the music that you listen to. And I think even if you listen to an album now and absolutely love it, it still doesn't, I think, resonate as much as the music of your youth, if you if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it kind of sticks with you, no, doesn't I it? Can, I can still, I mean, not very often, but I can still get really excited by stuff. Yeah. Uh, oh. Stevie Chuckle has a, <laughs> has a bit of a habit of, yeah, releasing yeah, stuff yeah. that really excites me. His new album's good, but it's not in that category. But like yeah. something like Hand Cannot Erase, yeah, that that's to me that's as exciting as this stuff from our youth as well. But yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 don't get me wrong. The songs that I love and still resonate with me, and you know, I'll get an emotional response. But I think there's something, um, yeah, quite special about music. That you you've listened to when you were younger, and Fugazi holds that place for me. And and two tracks in particular, "Emma of Lies" and um, "She Chameleon." I I just thought they were. I don't, <laughs> it's hard to describe because they're quite like the quite the the whole album. In fact, is quite a, a cold album. It's like cold production. I it, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, the original the original is yeah 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 you know it's a. It's quite sterile in terms of very neat and tidy, and uh, yeah, and um, I don't know. I had certain pictures of things. Bear in mind, I was listening to this when I was like, you know, sort of eleven to thirteen. Yeah. So I'll be honest with you, a lot of subject matter um, went over I, your head. Yeah, on about yeah, you know. So yeah. it was only subsequent horse uh, horse years. I was I was like, yeah, I was, I was thinking. Cracky, that's what whore is, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I was reading a review of the album this afternoon yeah. that said it's really uneven. And those two tracks that you've just named are the ones that they said were substandard. Yeah. I, and that's crazy to me. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, the documentary pretty much said that, that, that you know, all the band members felt that... Um, they weren't the track. I mean, Ian was quite positive about Emerald Lies uh, because of the, you know, you can tell because the drum intro is excellent. Yeah. But about it was all disjointed and stuff. And like, I don't know, there's part of me on those documentaries. I mean, I love them and I particularly liked the, uh, the Fugazi one because how open and honest it is and how much detail they go into. But it does. Everything take- was cooking. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it does it does take a little bit of a shine off your stuff, isn't it, to hear them all say, oh, that song's a bit shite. And you go, oh, <laughs> well, I love that song. 
Are you telling me you don't all, you know, walk through doors, separate doors in buildings next to each other and then <laughs> all, all get down and play end of life? Oh, man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that's a bit disappointing. But yeah, I love those two tracks. And, and um, She Chameleon, I don't know. I just think it creates an atmosphere that I just absolutely love and I've never got bored of it. I've never Have seen you it. heard the version from. Is it Glasgow Mayfair '82 that's in the early stages, Bob? Yeah, yeah, and, and that's yeah. a very that's a different tempo and everything, isn't it? It is, yeah. So, I mean, apart from the words, it's pretty much a very different song. Which it actually sounds like something that would be on script for Justice to you, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can probably see why people don't like it. I mean, I think if you discovered Marillion in the last twenty years. You'd probably go back and listen to that track if you, you know, you pick it for the first time. Think, Christ, what the hell's this? But <laughs> I think because I grew up on it, I, it's kind of. I mean, the, the keyboard solo is like phenomenal, and the, uh, the, the the guitar solo that follows it is amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 I think <laughs> I think the use of the word phenomenal is a bit generous there, but it's good. <laughs> yeah. It just. I think what doesn't help it, we're sorry, folks, we're kind of focusing on She Chameleon here, but <laughs> I think what doesn't help it is it doesn't seem to go anywhere. It builds to that solo and then the guitar solo, and then yeah. we're back down to the bloody organ, and, yeah. and it's not going anywhere. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm never kind of going to change my mind on it, but like you know, like, but for instance, like when the guitar solo is going on, all that atmospheric stuff that's happening underneath. Yeah, it's great. And on on the the box set mix of it, absolutely amazing. I mean, just really, really. Uh, for me, it's the best reissue as well. Um, Is it? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, in terms of what they did with the mix, because apart from one thing, which I'll go into later, but I bet but, I know what you're going to say. I'm not going to spoil it now, but I bet I know what you're going to say. No, don't don't talk about the end. You're going to talk about the end, aren't you? Don't talk yeah. about the end yet. No, don't no. you spoil it? <laughs> don't peak too early. Don't peak too early. We'll put it at the end. Okay, we'll, we'll, we've gone a little bit off topic, so let's. We'll just curtail <laughs> Sheikah Melian for a minute. Oh, yeah. one question though, Scott. Did you actually ever see them do it live? No, I did. Well, because yeah. you're old. And um, well, I was there on the tour. Yeah, that's exactly. fine. Yeah. The only ever time that I saw it live. Were properly was their fish on yeah. yeah the songs for the Mirato, which we discussed uh, the other week. Oh, yeah, right. There's a reasonable version of the medley. Yeah, it's in the part of the medley on sushi. Yeah, yeah. So if you've got sushi, the fish, the fish live album, Scott, no. check it out. It's yeah, I'll, I'll I'll check it out. I don't really own that much fish stuff. That's not, that's not a a slight on what he's done. It's just yeah, not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you've mentioned the remix and the then the Warner's reissue. So. Just focusing on the CD, Blu-ray box set, the Warners reissue. There's the disc one is the 2021 Avril and Andy remix. Uh, disc two is live at the Spectrum, Montreal, Canada, 20th of June, 84. That's disc two and three. Um, disc four is the Blu-ray, which has the surround mix of Fugazi on it. It's got the stereo of the live in Montreal. Uh, it's got the extra audio tracks, which are the same as the ones on the second CD of the 24-bit remaster, but they're yeah. only on the Blu-ray on this. It's got the documentary, The Performance Has Just Begun, and then there's a separate film of just track-by-track discussions, 
uh, the Assassin promo video, and then a really nice concert for Swiss TV from 84. Do you think you've watched recently, haven't you, Craig? Yeah, just just rewatched just rewatched it again. It's a it's a cracking little gig. And you know, very eighties, you know, the lighting and everything like that. But the band have got such kind of power and they're so tight and just we were just talking before about like the the attacking of the songs. And yeah. just there's just such a they were, they were really at a kind of peak then. Of, of, of the younger version of the band. I would say the looking at, even if you compare like recital of the script to this, there's so much more energy in this, so much more energy in this. And yeah. you can, you can see where, you know, Fish is singing in such a high register that it couldn't last. You know, this is, you know, he's admitted in the documentaries, admitted so many <coughs> years afterwards that when they were recording this album, they're doing the stuff that they should have done it in the lower register. Well, he's on a hide into nothing with Jigsaw. It's already up there to start with, isn't <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It? But he's he's already said it in in the documentary as well, like that it was fueled by you know every other word's cocaine in the documentary. Cocaine, uh, <laughs> cocaine, and, and and alcohol. So he was you know he's off his napper, but you know just going for it. And you you've got to give them credit, really. Yeah, you've give them yeah. credit for it. And it's a difficult second album. But, and like you say, keep quoting Fish again from the documentary, you know, this was the pathway to get to Misplaced. Yeah, we wouldn't have got Misplaced without this. <laughs> yeah. Can I but, can I put a bit of a niggle in about the Blu-ray? Well, well one thing, I'm just to finish off about the, yeah, the, yeah. the live gig. One thing that was really annoying that if it happened nowadays, well, it wouldn't happen nowadays. You've got some members of the audience with a big, massive bag. Oh, no, yeah, it fills the screen, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think, was it recorded in a TV studio? I think it was. It was yeah, yeah. Yeah. So at least if, if that had been in a gig, I think somebody would have came from the back and slapped them on the back of the head and took their knees out going, get that out of me, we all want to see the gig. It's massive, isn't it? It says, we are all heroes. But it's, it's obscuring like Pete for most of the gig. It's weird. It is. Go on, go on. You want, you want to have a dig? Go on. What, well, what do you want to have no, a dig? No, I don't want to have a dig. And I know why it's not on here, but Chippenham Gold Diggers should be on here. Yeah, because the only they're... thing that that gig is missing is a version of Fugazi itself. Yeah. The Gold Diggers, it's, it, there's a good, a good quality recording of it though, isn't there? It's like a, yeah, like a video I mean, thing. Gold Diggers was, was part of BBC Sight and Sound in concert. Yeah. And they broadcast four tracks, I think. Um, it didn't go out on the day of the gig, weirdly. It was recorded on the Tuesday, I think, and went out on the Saturday. But um, wasn't, wasn't Fish not happy with his vocal performance on it? That's why it's being kept. Well, the gig, it's, the gig itself was supposed to be the first night of the tour and it got pulled because they'd not finished the album. The, the first two gigs of the tour got, one got pulled. Well, they both got rearranged. Sorry. And then they ended up starting the tour on the 11th of February in Leeds. Um, and then Chippenham Gold Diggers were stuck right on the end after three nights at Hammersmith. And Fish's voice was absolutely raw. They played He Knows You Know before the broadcast. And then they, did, they actually broadcast Assassin, Script, Incubus and Fugazi. And as a, you know, Fugazi is the proper production with the cobweb and the spider's web and all of that. And that's what, for me, is what's missing from that that's on there. It's good, but I remember that from seeing it at Sheffield City Hall. That's one of my abiding memories. And that big jigsaw piece, that mirrored jigsaw piece that he had, that was a bit of a 
precursor to Milo when Rothers would would shine the light off his guitar plate. Well, Fish was doing the same thing with this mirrored jigsaw piece, shining it in people's eyes, that sort of thing. I, I was a bit amazed at that bit that I'd not didn't know about that. In all this time that I've been a really fan, the books I've read, I've never seen a picture of it or anything until of the jigsaw piece. Yeah, yeah. Just just yeah, and I, and I thought, oh wow, that yeah, that, that looks great. And um yeah, it's the gold diggers gig. Is it the one that's introduced by a presenter? I can't remember what his name is, and fish comes uh, up with, with Yeah, Steve Blacknell. Yeah, yeah. He's got his he does the introduction with fish with a knife around his neck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was broadcast now with the trigger warning. <laughs> yeah. No presenters were harmed in the broadcast of this gig. But uh, yeah, so what do what do you think of the remix then? So we've we've talked about a little bit about the gig, which some of which some was used on reel to reel actually, wasn't it? Three tracks, four tracks were used on reel to reel. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that the version? Because um, the, the 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 sort of extended reel to reel. Uh, it's got Emerald Lies on it because it wasn't on the original vinyl, was it? Emerald Lies. No, it was a, it was an extra track on the cassette. Ah, oh, right, yeah, yeah. And then obviously when the CD came out, that was the same, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because that's it. I mean, that is a cracking version of Emerald Lies. <laughs> yeah. You've not mentioned Emerald Lies before, Scott. <laughs> <man. laughs> Although, again, I think um, one of the books says I think a lot of that was overdubbed as well, wasn't it? So, in the studio. Well, it's, I mean, the the credits for Reel to Reel say it was recorded on the 19th and the 20th at the Spectrum. And yeah. this gig is the 20th. So I don't know whether we've got exactly the same versions or what. It's difficult to know, really. But we'll, Craig and I have discussed it. We'll probably do a, a separate <laughs> review of Reel to Reel and Brief Encounter. Yeah. But it's important to say that it is the same. If it's not the same gig, it's the same venue. So, um, I, and I think it's just something that Craig, um, touched on earlier, but you, you can just hear that they are on top form, aren't they? At that point, like script for Justice Tear, the song sounds like really powerful compared to the recital of script version. And well, they uh, talk in the documentary about them all having to up the game because of Ian's standard, don't they? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. I think the introduction of of, of Mister Jordash is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is is really they? It's, it's, he brought so much to the band then when when he joined, you know, on studio and especially like see when we talk about the the difference in the in the live stuff from from script onto to Fugazi, it, it's it's a step up, it really is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you think of the remix then? Without talking about the title track yet. Yeah, as I said earlier, for me, it's it's my favourite of other reissues. I think it's um, the most improved. Yeah. Yes. Was, yeah. I'm very sort of critical about the idea of reissues and stuff because, again, it, it harps back to my own feelings about like the album I want to listen to is the one when I'm <laughs> that I was listening to when I was a kid. But you know, as a producer as well, I can't I can't knock the fact that it sounds phenomenal. Yeah, um, yeah, they've really really cleared everything up and. Uh, and there's certainly, you know, a few bits in there that, as with all the, the, the remixes that I've just you just don't hear before, yeah, you know, and it's great to have those little ones. And and what I think I like about it is they've not gone over the top, on, no. yeah, and uh, and I, I like that. 
because I think have you heard the surround mix? I haven't, man. Is it I'll good? Bore, I'll bore you in a minute with some notes from the surround mix. Great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the bit that the listeners usually fast forward, so it's all right. <laughs> it's it's well it's a Ludwig time. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should switch the audio to surround sound while you discuss that bit. Yeah. Well, you can imagine it in surround, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so um, yeah, production wise, it, it's upped its game massively. I think it sounds massive and uh, I love it. And some of the bits I niggles with at first, I've kind of grown to really like. Yeah. Certain tracks that shan't, I shan't name the names again, but like, you know, <laughs> a certain. Go on, I, say it. Go on, say it. Go on, she chameleon. Go on, go on. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember who does the uh, the talking over when uh, Fish is saying uh, about the affair. There's, there's like a sort of news presenter type voice in well, there. Yeah, I, I don't it's, know who it is. I mean, I, I, it's funny because when I was a kid, I always thought it was uh, Tom Baker. So it, it used to sound like him. Uh, but yeah, it, well, nah, I, I, I doubt it would have been. But I never um, never really knew who it was. But he's missing, isn't he, on the uh, remix? Well, it's different. I mean, I've just jumping into my surround notes. Yeah. My Sheikha notes. I've got the church organ is in all four corner speakers with Fish's voice in the central speaker. But then um, distinctly a casual affair is in the the back right speaker. It's They're moving like bits of the lyrics or bits of the singing or bits of the backing vocals around the the speakers. And then the the keys and the guitar solo that you love are both... <laughs> Are both in the centre speaker where the vocals have been. Yeah. Um, so it's good. It kind of it, it, it's it. There's always there's lots of stuff going on in the mix, and it makes Sheikha Beeling quite interesting. I have to say, <laughs> she's no main thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. So yeah, it's really good. Yeah, just um, it, it's been nice going back and listening to it a lot. In preparation for this uh, podcast, I thought you yeah. know, gonna come, gotta come across as professional. Yeah, well, one <laughs> of the first time for everything, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's funny because I listen to stuff very differently now. It's always hard because, yeah, uh, um, yeah, yeah, how I on. yeah, yeah, I'm a producer, and it's really hard not to dissect music. I, you know, I I listen to it completely different. I go straight to the production and analyze it all and uh, you know and i think in some ways it takes the, the joy out of it compared to uh, uh yeah when it, where before i knew all those things but equally i can then appreciate as well effort that's gone into things and um yeah as i say i a, a real top job i think it's yeah so craig what did you think of it <laughs> love it oh I'm steady Tiger. i know it I, I, of of all of the like remasters themselves, like Scott, this is my favourite mix, what they've actually done with things. And not not to get too far ahead of myself, I've I've got varying varying opinions on how good or bad or indifferent the, the remasters are in, in this, this range of this range of remasters. I think all the packaging and all the packages have been great. Yeah. But I think some of the some of the remixes have, have, have left a lot to be desired. But this, this I really, really like. And I've been playing it heavy rotation. Having different people doing the remixes 
is is why that is. You know, we go yeah. we go from Stephen Wilson to Stephen Taylor to Andy and Avril to Mike Hunter, so they're all coming from different angles. Yeah, and it's um, it is an interesting way a way to do it, and yeah, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? I I, I find that the, the whole concept is actually quite brave, isn't it? Because you're talking about like albums that you know people go on a weekly podcast and talk about and dissect into <laughs> crazy detail. Yeah. Who would do that? Who would do? And so, Who? like, for someone to take something precious, I mean, I wasn't particularly keen at all like on the on the brave remix uh, but but like but like the 1998 version shot your load there we haven't yeah. done brave yet <laughs> oh yeah well i'm sure that i'm sure there was a box set <laughs> we're going to there was there is a box set yes we're going to clip what you've just said there okay. and put oh, it yeah. in the brave one okay yeah <laughs> but yeah um i think it, this is the one that is like um uh, it's almost like you, you wouldn't call it a remix. Uh, you, you call it a new mix. Yeah, and I think that's a difference, yeah. I was lucky enough to interview Andy and Avril for the web magazine. Oh, nice. And they sent me the remix of this about four months before it came out. And I was so excited by it, but I couldn't tell anybody. <laughs> it's Because they mix the live gig as well. It's, I think it's an absolutely stunning mix. It. It, I think you've used the words it cleans things up. Yeah, I think it does. There's not, it's a very much similar to the early Elton John surround mixes. There's not really too much in there to get wrong. So if you just clean it up and sort of divide it out into the speakers and make it spatial, it yeah. sounds better. Uh, we've already said that Pete Pete's further up in the mix. I think Ian's further up in the mix. But then there's some some Mark Kelly stuff that I've never heard before until I heard this mix. Shall I go through the surround? Uh, do you want yeah. Do you want to do the the, the end bit where we, the bit that we all don't like? <laughs> I like it. I think it's better. Oh, 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 I was going to say, what what is the what is the common feeling amongst Marillion fans? John, you will have obviously a good take on what do most Marillion fans think about the ending. I haven't read a lot of negativity about it, if I'm yeah. honest. I think they, what they did, what they tried to do from speaking to the Andy and Avril is they tried to, because there's a bit of a gap in the studio version, isn't there? There's too big a gap. They tried to make it more like the live version. But then the band were never happy with the way the track ended. It just faded out. Yeah. And I think it's a good, I think it's a good compromise. Oh, I just like the fear. I just like, I liked it how it was. Yeah, I, I mean, again, it, it, it's just about I think what you've listened to because for a long again, time, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll go back to my headphone, eleven-year-old, and yeah. to me, just especially because the the drums were doing the uh, the sort of army type march. Yeah. Where to me, it was just going fading off into the background. Yeah, yeah you know, walking off into the sunrise, and uh, yeah, and I find the uh, I find the ending now quite that 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 particular ending quite jarring. Yeah, it, it's jarring. That's exactly that's what I think. I think with but, yeah, you know, uh, it's probably because sorry, Craig, it's no, probably because you're so used to the it fade. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I like these remixes for what they are. Yeah. If you don't like them, the old CDs in the rack. Dig yeah. the old CD out. You know. Yeah. I think this, as we've said is the most improved of the lot. I think Script gives it a run for its money, but yeah. this is the most improved. 
Um, and I like the new ending, if I'm honest. I think it's a lot neater. It's more like they used to do live. So it works for me, but I bow to your, you know, everyone's got an opinion. Yeah. But if you're, used to, if, you, if you're used <laughs> to it the way the live went, yeah, okay, we'll let you have that. <laughs> well, all right, yeah. Because I'm old enough to have seen it live. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> all right, let's just, I'll just run through some quick notes from the surround mix then. So Assassin is quite, the intro is quite clever. There's The tablas are in the rear speakers and the bass and drums at the beginning are really in your face. So uh, Fish's vocals in the centre speaker. Backing vocals in the rears, keyboards in the rears as well. Listen to the blade. It's over right over in the far left speaker. You know, it's kind of a moving around you. And then the Rothers solo is in all four corners. It's just really clever. Punch and Judy has got a, a keyboard riff on the intro that I've never really. It, it was obviously there in the mix, but it's, it's quite prominent in this remix. And again, the backing vocals are in the rears again, the Judy Judy, all in the rear speakers. Uh, Jigsaw's fairly straight, um, apart until he gets to Rother's solo, which is in the front two speakers only. But it doesn't seem as, as in your face as the stereo version. You know, that the solo, it, it, it's not as distinctive. And a bit, uh, you must have known that I was concealing an escape moves from the front to the back speakers while it's while it's going on. Nice. Emerald Lies is pretty straightforward. She comedian I've talked about already. Not enough. <laughs> well, She Comedian should be a twenty four minute disco remix in my opinion, but I think we need to get Mikey over because like how many extra versions of She Chameleon can we ask for? Uh Incubus the main riff is more balanced between keys and guitar, whereas before, for me, it was more prominently a guitar riff. You can brush me under the carpet where that lyric is. There's a really nice guitar line, that, again, that was hidden under the vocal that you can suddenly hear again. And then Fugazi, I started making notes, and there's so much going on, I just <laughs> stopped. I mean, you were talking, Scott, about just getting lost in the music and not being able to do that so much now. But by the time I got to Fugazi, I was taken, I was kind of transported, yeah. transported back to Sheffield City Hall in March 84, just standing there up mouthed at what I was seeing and hearing. You know, I think Fugazi is probably Assassin and Fugazi are my favorite tracks on this. Yeah. Um, Assassin because of the, love Rother's funky guitar at the beginning of it. You know, it's just not what you'd expect. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, I think Fugazi yeah, is just a, an absolute classic. Stone Cold classic. Yeah, I think Fugazi has always been one of my favourite songs. I think you can't, you can't knock that track. It's great. Assassin comes and goes with me, to be, to be honest. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great. I mean, it's great. Calf muscle exercise track, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but it's also quite basic. And and I, I suppose another thing about Marillion that I absolutely love and why I particularly like this album is I'm a huge fan of Pitchfork's. I just he's just a phenomenal bass player. Yeah, uh, massively underrated, I think, in the world of bass players. You know, some of his work on this album that we're, talking, we're discussing is just incredible. 
And like um, he says on, on the Blu-ray, on Assassin, he does what the song requires. Yeah. Which is just a straightforward doom, doom, doom. And um, so, yeah, it's good. It's great. He's doing exactly what he needs to do. But, yeah, I was more enamored with the songs that had got, like, really good. <laughs> yeah. It's like... it's, uh, the documentary is really interesting. I mean, there's an overall darkness about it, you know, in the mood, isn't there, really? Apart from Ian, who's, well, just go back a step. The docu- the first 20 minutes of the documentary are about the revolving drummer thing, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and cooking. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought the documentary, it's actually my favourite documentary as well, although the script one is also... Script one's better, oh, the script yeah. one's really yeah. good. Yeah. The, script, the script one's great, and it's great how they've pulled in, uh, you, you know, the old members, etc. But um, And I think for guys who kind of carries on from that, I mean, you put those first two together, that is a good definitive history of how Marillion uh, sort of uh, formed and began. And I actually prefer the documentaries where they're, they're separate. I know on Miss Place Childhood, it was nice to see them all together. Yeah, yeah. But I, I have found as uh, watching them all that when they're all individual, I think they go into more detail. Yeah. And there's more stories that come out. And Well, fish get, fish can't shut up. So <laughs> if you do it separately, Pete gets to say something. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, and I, I love fish and I, I love the fact that he can't stop talking. That's, you know... He tells yeah. us all his cunning plans, and that works for me. I know it divides some people, but that works for me. I think it's a bit harsh because it starts with the day after the Hammersmith gig on the script tour, they sack Mick Pointer. Yeah. That's harsh, isn't it? The, yay, it. a successful gig. Now get out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think it shows like how am, ambitious it, they were. And, and I always remember reading Mick Wall's. Uh, book on um, Marillion and you know it always came across as in those early years like Fish was like uber ambitious and he was the driving force to getting them towards the point of getting a record deal and I think the documentaries the both of them show like how much he really really did push that and also you know um, he wasn't going to let anyone stand in his way was he so no, you know. no. <laughs> I mean it must have been tough though because you know, yeah. Mick Pointer was a founding member founding of the band, member, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. And he comes across as a nice guy, Mick Pointer does as well. So I'm sure, you know, um, it, I mean, it must must have been hard for him because, yeah, <laughs> you come off at the Ampsmith. What oh, a great gig, lads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, Mick, we've been meaning to say something. Yeah. Yeah, why, why are we giving us a couch clock? <laughs> but you, you know, I mean, the, the good thing with it is uh, to uh, to give Fishy's uh, his credit. Uh, time has rewarded his decision, and to work, work like you know, that Ian is a top class <laughs> uh, drummer, and to you know, a, 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 a cut above. Yeah, yeah, but they didn't get to Ian straight away, did they? Uh, they went round the houses, didn't you've they? Got a, you've got Andy Ward, <laughs> yeah. John Martyr, Jonathan yeah. Mover. Yeah. Even Animal from the Muppets, I think, for two gigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, they took the time, didn't they? But yeah, you know, they got there in the end. Yeah, I mean, eventually. But uh, I get the first 20 minutes are worth it for just that, you know. Yeah. Just all that, all the dr- the revolving drummer thing. But Fish talks about 
there being lots of ugliness around while the album was recorded, especially when they ran out of time. At, at, was it the Manor? They ran yeah. out of time at the Manor yeah. Studios, and then they were it was right up till Christmas. That wasn't it. Yeah, they were in and out of other studios, and then they were all mixing in different studios. So nobody knew what the file mix was until they took them all to Par Studios in Liverpool and played them it. And by that point, it was a fait accompli. The mix was done. They couldn't change it. Yeah, yeah, it was off printing. So yeah, which must be incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they'd had script, which was a big success. Yeah. They knew the next album was important, and so it transpired. It didn't sell any more than script. Yeah, and cost uh, twice as much. Yeah, yeah, cost twice as much, and it didn't sell any more. I mean, yeah. the the bit one of the bits I like in the in the um, documentaries when Ian was asked to join the band and said, "I can't afford to because the guys are only on fifty pounds a week." So John Arneson went away for five minutes, came back and said, I've given everybody a rise. It's £100 a week now. So Ian said, yeah, all right, I'll do that. So Ian was like, you know, Mr. Popular because he just got the band a 50 quid a week pay rise. And next week, next week, the T-shirts went up by a fiver. But yeah, a a really good documentary. And I think you can tell it's detailed because it's an hour and a half documentary which is one of the, the, the longer ones and, yeah. and and they've had to put the song discussions on a separate documentary yeah, yeah. yeah. If you put the two together what what is it is I mean, an hour and 20 is the the main doc so and then the other one's 35 minutes is it yeah. right that's um, good value but, isn't it ah, it's, it's really good really good those documentaries are um perfect yeah great stuff and it was, was it? Good. It's Tim, isn't it? It's toward infinity, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Dave Barris recorded the fish stuff, right? And there's another guy did the Mark Wilkinson stuff, but uh, yeah, Tim did the um, all the all the band stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's nice, isn't it, having Mark Wilkinson discussing the artwork? I think just touches like that are. It's like definitive. It's hard to imagine there'd be a better documentary about the making of the Gazing than what they put there. They didn't miss anything out, did they? It's a- no, no, it's, it's great. It's really good. It's really we could have good. mentioned a bit more about the cocaine, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, like, um, again, talk about the, the, the change that it puts on your perspective of, of the album, because... I remember discussing about the uh, the book that came out, which I can't remember the name of it. It's by John Collins. What's it? Um, I separated out. Separated out. Yeah. Separated out. Thank you. Yeah. That goes. That that's for the first time touches on the sort of drugs and stuff. Because the Mick Wall one, you would have thought they were all, you know, as good it's as cool. gold. It, yeah, it was all very brushed uh, over. And of course, that's the one that I'd read and everything like. So yeah. yeah. So uh, stupidly, it came as a shock to me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, but obviously it must have been uh, quite heavy. <laughs> well, yeah, to say it. Is it time for my slot, Craig? Do you want to do your slot? My favourite slot. And what's your favourite slot? Just for the record. It's just for the record. <laughs> oh, look, look, John. John. What? John. <laughs> yeah. John. Oh, to original. Craig's got to original. 
I can play just for the record this week because I've yes. got the record. But well, this is the, I can't normally the, play just for the record. But yeah, yeah. that's the original '84 uh, vinyl. There we go. Right, so I'll put that away now because you want to talk. Yeah, about you put it, yeah. that away. Mine's in a box in the back. But I've yeah, yours got, is bigger than mine. Okay. Yeah. I've got the Warner's reissue, vinyl reissue, signed by Derek on the front. Um, oh, sorry, if Mark Kennedy was here, split up. Yes, well, I bought the CD set from Marillion and I bought the vinyl set from Fish. Split up. Shut up. Lucy would say it as well. So, yeah, it's the the 60-page CD booklet in 12-inch format, again. Pretty much like the uh, the clutching. They've all got, all the vinyls have got unique images on them, which is nice. They're all from the era or they're, uh, portraits of the band. There's one of Steve Rother here on the disc I'm holding. And there's Rothers. Nice. Fish. So every every sleeve is different, which is a really nice touch because as we get towards the more recent ones like Season's End, they've all got a fairly generic sleeve. And the gig itself sounds fantastic on the vinyl. It really does. Um, and I think this is still available, Craig, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, there's still, there's still copies floating around. Craig's usually the one who does the shopping. Um, <laughs> the CD itself, I think, is only about 25, 30 quid as well at the moment. There's some places who've got it up, they've got it like under 30 quid. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think there'll be a lot of, a lot of the stock around very much longer. Yeah, I think, yeah, if you're looking for it, I would snap it up quickly because the repressings that uh, Racket have just sold have gone up to about 40, 50 quid, sorry, haven't they, for the CD Yeah, because the, so. the, cost, the cost price on them is pretty much what the old retail used to be. I'm not sort of... Yeah, yeah. So, yes, a highly recommended box set, and the original is recommended, Craig? No, go for the new one. The thing is, there's the, they've actually done what we, what we haven't really mentioned at all in any time. We've talked about the Warner stuff are the normal, like, um, the 2013 version. vinyl issues. No, the the um the breakout versions. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, they're just they're first, they're just the re- versions of the remixes from the box, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they are. But that that's an old school '84 one that I've got, which will probably uh, <laughs> since I haven't actually got anything to play it on now. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Surely that is the only vinyl I've got left of Tagazi. What the one piece of vinyl I've got. I, I got rid of all my vinyl years ago, um, but I couldn't part with the gatefold sleeve of that because it just meant too much to me. So, um, yeah, I've got, it, uh, I've got it framed in the studio. Have you? I thought you were going to say you couldn't get rid of it because it's got embarrassing stains on it. <laughs> you chameleon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so was it just a... No. Yeah. <laughs> we... <laughs> We chameleon. That's it. <laughs> Just talking about different like live versions and things and stuff like that. One thing I was speaking to you earlier, John, was on the the two CD um, the spectrum gig. spectrum gig. The version of chart and the single has an amazing cracking guitar solo amazing. at the end. Yeah, it's I mean the the whole song. It, it's instead of being like a three minute thing, it goes on for about seven minutes. It does yeah. And it's just fantastic. It's really, really good. It's a great version. It really is, yeah. But one of the other things I've been listening to, which I I know we're going to 
do a deep delve onto in a in a while, but not yet, is uh, Fish's Yin and Yang. There's the version of Incubus, um, which was done with the twin guitars. That's great, yeah. And yeah. when Fish used to do that live back in the 90s, it was a really, really, really good version of it. Yeah. And the version that's on Yin and Yang is, is, is cracking as well. It is, it is. So which gigs did you go to, boys, when you were 11 and 12? <laughs> None. <laughs> None. 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 So, so yeah, so the only songs I've seen Fagazi performed live that involve the band are obviously from that one Clutching at Straws gig, um, so where they played Assassin and Fagazi. Right. It did like a really long intro to Fagazi. It was like it was like building up, almost in like sort of a King of Sunset Town kind of way. And he was doing this talk about um, it was involving with Subway and stuff. And then, yeah, yeah, he just went into, yeah, I used to have it on tape. <laughs> you, what, you bought a record fair? Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. And I, I remade the cover using my ticket stub. <laughs> oh. Oh, the yeah, the only live stuff I've I've seen from this is when Fisher's done versions of it over the years. Assume nothing has changed. Uh, certainly from my, I, I mean, I've not done the last couple of conventions, but um, and I think it's another reason why the album is quite still special to me. Is it, it, none of it's been performed since H's been in the band, has it? Well, certainly no. with H on stage. H, H has, has said that he kind of. He's happy to cover the stuff that he can emotionally attach himself to. He can't do that with the stuff on this album. Yeah. I I mean, he did did, um, Cinderella Search, well, the first half of Cinderella Search back in in, 2000, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I remember there was one of the conventions where they did, it was the the alphabet one, and they did Jigsaw. Jigsaw. Thinking thinking that the fans were going to really go for it and nobody knew the words. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, in Hol- in Holland, nobody knew the words, and I think was it Wolverhampton? They gave us a lyric sheet, didn't they, on the way in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, but one time that you can almost class as the band did it, but obviously it was Martin on vocals, so it was at Butlins. Yeah, oh, well, the, wow, that was amazing. Yeah, that's it. Where the ceiling nearly Epic. went through. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. It was amazing. I mean, Martin is just. Something and a half, isn't he? He's a great guy. Great yeah. singer. Love him. Well, I'm old enough to have been there, boys. So I was there on the 6th of March in 1984 at Sheffield City Hall. My second time seeing the band. I don't yeah. know why I didn't go to Leeds, which ended up being the first gig. Because that would have been nearer for me. But I'd seen them at City Hall in the script tour. So I went back to City Hall. Set list of Assassin, Punch and Judy, Jigsaw, Script, Emerald Lies, Chelsea Monday. Incubus, He Knows You Know, Fugazi, Forgotten Sons, Garden Party and Market Square Heroes. Sounds good to me. It's not bad, is it? No Easter? No, No, weirdly. No Easter. And was that with full stage uh, decoration and stuff? Yeah, Yeah, that's that's the thing. The production was a serious step up from script. So Fish had got more props. Fish had got his Congos. He talks about it in the documentary. He got that a they, set of Congos. Yeah. They, kept, they, they kept kind of a bit like H with his guitar. They just don't plug it in. <laughs> what was it Rothers says in the documentary? Air Congos. 
Um, I, I think what's a shame of that period for Gazi misplaced Chatham is there's not good concert videos in the same yeah. way as without the script. It's a real shame, isn't it? Because you know, from the pictures I've seen and tiny little bits of footage, uh, particularly misplaced childhood, feels that's like the, yeah, that's the biggest loss. Like being like yeah. no misplaced gigs, like yeah. professionally recorded at all. That's it's just it's shocking. Well. Yeah. Uh, only nine months later, I saw him again in Manchester, and we're now by that point we're on the real to real tour. So you've got the first half of Misplaced being played, and that was a really exciting time to be a fan. It really yeah. was. You just felt it was going somewhere, you know. Yeah. The version of Misplaced that they played was so ex- so exciting to hear that. And yeah. back in that time, there it's one thing we've actually mentioned in previous pods: the the fact that you're getting new music pretty much every year. Yes. In the first few years. Yeah. It's, I mean, again, we've, we've, this, this was a really exciting year for me, for be, being a fan. But, you know, everything we've talked about, the 92, 93 we've done recently and the recent pods, all exciting times, you know. Yeah. For different um, reasons, yeah, but great. Yeah. But this was, this was really, you know, and, and I, at this point, I didn't have any friends who were into Marillion, so it was just me going on my own to these gigs. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it was, it was uh, I know, like, we've all grown older with the band, but it was a bit of a different beast as well going to a gig, uh Marillion gig. And there's, I mean, I remember the clutching and the first, uh, the following year, almost to the day, um, I saw Steve Ogarth uh, for the first time. And that those first few times, like the the crowd was a lot more intense. Yeah, it was it was almost a little bit frightening for a fifteen year old. Um, yeah, well, a six foot fifteen year old. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was a different beast. That struggle to get to the front and stuff like that. It was the uh, you know, there's people and uh, and smoke. So people stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think that might be why I like Sheffield because it was a seated gig. It was always a seated gig. Right. People would stand, but you were obviously in a seat. Yeah, I see. I, I, I mean, I can't can't get my head around being in sort of nineteen eighty four, listening to Fugazi live and stuff, and being seated. That seems mad, but yeah. But at least it made it made it a like a different experience, didn't it? But yeah. And then um, I think I've taught. I've, have I talked about this on the pod? I think I've talked about the cardiac supporting. You know, yes, I? you did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was the the real to real tour where cardiac supported, and it was a real standoff. But that's you know, <laughs> we've already talked about that. Yeah, <laughs> I think I was trying to think who was uh, when I saw him at Clutching. Was it Jadis? I think. Uh, yeah, it was Jadis because they did uh, they did Sheffield, or they were due to do Sheffield later on, about three nights after you saw them. And yeah. Jadis played, and then Fish came out and said, I've got no voice, the gig's off. So, <laughs> Did I hear you say you were going to do a podcast on support bands? Uh, I'm sure you can do. Have, yeah. you support, have you ever supported Marillion? Well, financially, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, I, I, it's all right, because I always remember the, uh, the early sort of 90s ones, Little Angels. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, oh, God. What's the one that Doris Brendel was in? Violet, Violet Hour. Yeah. Uh, and Holidays, yeah. Good ones. And then John Wesley on Brave. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. But yeah, anyway, Big Assy. Yeah, good. 
<laughs> what have we wasted an hour at? We should have just done that. Yeah, no, we'll, well, no. Thanks, well, we'll just have to do the traditional genius or bollocks. All genius. So, John, <laughs> do are you we think... gonna do? Are we doing it track by track? If you want to do a track by track, you've never you done do it track, track by, by track. track. You might Go get on. a different answer. Go on for the Americans <laughs> and the audience. <laughs> okay, this is a, this is a first for our podcast, so. If you don't know the concept of genius or bollocks, you'll have to go back and listen to another podcast. <laughs> Craig, assassin, genius or bollocks? Genius. Scott? Genius. Genius from me. Punch and Judy, genius or bollocks? Craig? Genius. Scott? Genius. Bollocks. Ooh! Jigsaw, <laughs> genius or bollocks? Genius. 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 Emerald Lies. Genius or bollocks? Tin helmet on from Scott. Bollocks. Don't like it. Scott. Double genius. Double genius. <laughs> oh, so it's, bollocks. it's bollocks, sorry. <laughs> Incubus. What about she chameleon? Sorry? You've been she chameleon? Went from Emerald Lies straight to Incubus. You're going to finish with Sheik Chameleon. Okay, then. <clears throat> Incubus is genius. Yeah. yeah. Uh, only quite recently genius for me. For a long time, I didn't like it. But yeah. 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 Genius for me. Fugazi, this version. I still Great. have to be genius. Scott. Uh, genius. Genius for me. Okay. And oh. finally, Sheik Chameleon. Genius, I like it. Double genius. <laughs> Bollocks from me. <laughs> oh, and that's God. how we really play genius or bollocks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, it's it's been good to chat with you guys about the album and great to sort of go back and listen to it again. Yeah. Um, and to play live gigs from around the period has really helped for me. Um, it's been great to hear your reminiscence on this, Scott. And, uh, you know, the uh, the campaign for She Chameleon to be released as a single starts here. <laughs> I have its own box set. Maybe you could do a remix, Scott, could you? I know. I probably could, couldn't I? Yeah. They send me the masters. Yeah. Take no <laughs> remix or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's been, it's been great. And uh, I've really enjoyed listening to the old podcast. It's been... Uh, oh, thank you. Fun, yeah, um, yeah. I think, Craig, have you got... We think we've just got time for an email, haven't we? Yeah, there's um, there was a there's one of the emails that we actually got in, and it's from a, a um, a, a Scott by some strange kind of thing. Oh, right. um, <laughs> it, it was um, yeah. So I, I shall read it now. Dear Mister and Mrs. Marzipan, <laughs> five arguments in defence of how can it hurt. <laughs> yeah. Someone's looking guilty. <laughs> uh, one, the verse riff on both guitar and bass is excellent classic rock akin to Led Zeppelin. Two, the chorus features some of Pete's greatest bass work, perfectly demonstrated in the chorus following the middle eighth section. Three, lyrically a beautifully explained song of not understanding what you have done to upset a relationship or and not being able to afford to get your car fixed. <laughs> Four, the middle eight is like something off Brave. That's got to be a good thing, right? And five, <laughs> two 16 minutes 
After 2.16 minutes in when H moves his vocal up an octave. I think you will find these reasons a definitive argument for the song. Love the show, guys. Keep up the good work. Scott Evans. <laughs> what have you got to say for yourself, what boy? Female, that is. <laughs> well thought out do you know what the funny thing is I thought right I, I titled it Five Reasons Why How Can It Hurt is a really great song and I thought oh I don't know if I pushed that but... <laughs> you ran out at three didn't you yeah <laughs> well to further to further back up our case we did a poll on that on that episode we yes. did indeed on Spotify we did indeed I think uh, there were only eight people voted but you'll be pleased to know that seven people thought it was bollocks. Oh, no way. So 87.5% thought it was bollocks. 87.5% thought that how could it hurt his bollocks? Yeah. I, I have a question. It's a genuine question as well. Like, so, you know, if you, if you, you, you notoriously don't like the song, John. We've discussed it for years, haven't we? Yeah. There's very yeah. little I don't like by the band. I just yeah. don't think that's finished. Do you ever go back and actually listen to it and like like or or have you are you like done with it i did yeah. listen to it when we were just researching stuff for the uh holidays oh. album and yeah. six of one and six of one yeah and yeah. it's still it's still still yeah it's yeah it's in, it's just interesting isn't it? it's just uh yeah i mean but i've got i've got something that comes up on my facebook memories every year and it's it's John in a light blue cakey's t-shirt, t- sitting on stairs, and you've got you've got your head in your hand like that. And I've put the caption: John considering how genius, how good it is. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, I, the, I I know I keep going on about Pitch in his bass, but the bass playing in that song is incredible. Yeah, maybe if it, it was just a bass solo, I'd like it more. <laughs> yeah. And on that yeah, note, there's very little that I don't like by the band, but that is unfortunately on the list. Oh, what a shame! And she chameleon? No, she chameleon is better than that. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, but yeah, no, it's been great, guys. Uh, All right, well, look, thanks for coming on, Scott. We do appreciate it. Please keep yeah. writing in because we are going to chuck some more of your emails out there because there's some very good content in those. <laughs> yeah, and we'll have you back on. Definitely, because we miss you, mate. We do. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's been good to uh, see you, fella. Yeah, yeah, no, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah, I'll look forward to it and keep up the good work, guys. Okay. Well, <laughs> thanks for listening, folks. Um, we'll be back next week with something else. We haven't decided yet, have we? Yes, we have. Oh, I don't know what we're doing, so I'll be talking about it, and so will he. <laughs> so it's good night from me. And it's good night from him. And? It's good night from her. <laughs> Take care. Stay alive. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Planet Marzipan Podcast. Please like and subscribe from whichever platform you get your podcasts from. You can contact us at planetmarzipanpodcast at gmail.com and check out marillion.com, fishmusic.scot or fishmusic.eu for all the good stuff.